the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And good afternoon to you. Welcome. It's a Wednesday, and uh, by golly, it's the end of August. Can you believe it? My, my, my. We're going to be heading into a uh, very, very warm Labor Day weekend, so say the weather procrastinators. And so it's going to be time to kind of watch the power levels out there and try to stay safe and stay cool as best you can. And, um, of course, whatever your plans might be for the holiday weekend, hope you're going to plan to take KFAX along. Always an honor and privilege, even on this program in the weekday afternoons, to spend some time heading home with you or whatever you might be up to between 5 and 7 in the evening. And uh, as always, we address issues and topics of Hopefully concern, interest, enlightenment, maybe even occasionally amuse you <laughs> here, here and there. We try our best. Coming up later on in tonight's program, we're going to give you an update on the status of Assembly Bill 2223. Doesn't sound very good, very promising, based on the fact that it passed the California State Legislature and the governor was due to sign it. I'm going to bet that that indeed is the case. We'll get an update for you from... Brian Johnston with the National Right to Life Committee. Also, there's a new proposition that will be facing us at the ballot box come November, California Proposition Number 1. Details on why that's important and of interest to you. And a lawsuit has been filed here in California against the state for the implementation of what they're calling the California Child Care Act, which puts an unbelievable and horrifically anti-constitutional burden upon churches and ministries across the state that operate church-based daycare ministries that now put the, <coughs> pardon me, put them subject to state regulation in ways that are so draconian, take your breath away. I mean, you'd think if you're going to operate a church-based daycare, as a parent, you probably want to Make best use of the time, teach the kids a bit about scripture, get them involved in maybe singing and learning some hymns, maybe even a little bit of um, participation in prayer. Oh, no, 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 no. No, they don't want religious activities as any part of daycare, even though it's daycare ministry at a church. And violation of same opens up all kinds of doors of retribution by the state. Is this proper? No. Is it constitutional? No. Is it the law in California? Yeah, you better believe it is. Unbelievable. We'll get details as constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus joins us later on in tonight's program. But to lead off, you know, you probably think about this every now and then, the challenges that you have faced in life, the 
failures that perhaps dog your heels. Maybe you're somebody where to this very day, some of that failure continues to haunt you. And um, you feel as if no matter what you do, how hard you try, you're met with failure. You live daily with the fear of even the possibility of failure or the fallout of having experienced it. And what it does to not only damage your psyche, but perhaps on a grander scale, even wound your heart. Well, my guest leading off the program tonight knows what that's all about. He is the best-selling author of a number of books, including several, no doubt, you've heard of, including The Richest Man Who Ever Lived. He is a popular international speaker on subjects of personal and professional achievement, the application of biblical wisdom, and insights into Christ's teachings into every aspect of life. His latest book does much of the same on this very important topic that all of us, at one point or another, have in the past or will in the future, deal with failure. The new book is called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living, newly released by Thomas Nelson Publishers. And Stephen Scott, great to have you with us. Hey, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm excited to be with you, Craig. You know, I was reading a bit of your, uh, your bio ahead of our program today, and I thought, uh, boy, what a loser. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I mean that with much sincere Christian love. But you, you, you had a string of job failures. In fact, um, by count, nine in the first six years following graduation from college, which I, I don't know if it's a record, but it's got to be close to that. Um, down through your life, you've had more than your fair share of failure and the fallout of failure and the impact of the fear of failure. And even more recently, and to kind of put this in context for listeners, as we mentioned at the get-go, you are a popular speaker, a motivational speaker, book author. So to be sure, you've also had some enormous success. But failure is one of those things that tends to kind of dog us at different stages in life. And I, and I guess a lot of it has to do with um, not the notion of if it happens, but when it happens, how well prepared we are to deal with it and how we're able to keep it all in perspective. Most recently, some of the challenges that you have faced, as you denote inside the book, includes the loss of a um, gentleman who's been a guest on this program many times down through the years, Gary Smalley. A lot of folks familiar with the work of Gary Smalley and uh, his work along with Dr. John Trent. In uh, 2020, I understand that you had a pretty significant bout with COVID as well and uh, hospitalized you to the point where you weren't even sure that you were going to come out on the other side. Tell us more. Well, that's true, but it was a wonderful time because God had my full attention. And since Gary's death, Gary was my best friend for 43 years. I wrote his first two books with him. I launched his ministry. I created all of his videos and uh, that we put on TV with uh, a number of celebrities. And um, when I lost him, I, I, I had seven books that my publisher wanted me to complete. And... Um, I stopped writing. I couldn't write anymore. My heart was broken. In fact, the piece of my heart that writes was gone. But I want to get back to something earlier you said, which you're talking about my my failures. Zig Ziglar, when he reviewed my first book, uh, said, Steve Scott is living proof that failure is an event, not a person. And on that same book, the endorsement that I got from Donald Trump 
um, and it was the only book he had ever endorsed, he talking about the strategies that God revealed to me in Proverbs that took me from from losing to creating billions of dollars in businesses. And um, uh, Donald Trump said that my the strategies, he didn't know he was endorsing the book of Proverbs, but he said, uncanny insights and strategies are so specific and easily applied, I believe they can empower any reader, from college student to small business owner to CEO of Fortune 500 companies to achieve levels of success they haven't yet dreamed of. And that was my life. The level of success that came in God's timing was so far beyond anything I had ever imagined. And I wrote a book called The Richest Man Who Ever Lived in uh, in 2006. It's still in hardcover. Random House said it'll never go to softcover. Um, it's in 30 languages because Proverbs changed my life. It was all about the pragmatic teachings of Proverbs. And people have asked me for years, when are you going to follow it up? And uh, the answer is the Joseph Principles is a follow-up, but it goes in a completely different direction. Uh, it focuses on, Joseph had uh, 12 attributes that all of us would love to have, an incredible faith, in, in not only in God, but in his sovereignty and his love. And he had a practical faith. He, had, he heard God's whispers. Uh, he had an intimacy with the Lord that we all could envy. But Joseph never taught us how to have those. Jesus did. So the book, even though it uses Joseph's life as a as a uh, illustration of these incredible attributes, all the teachings in it are straight out of the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, over 100 statements of Christ. And the primary goal of the book is to show us what Je- how Jesus taught us what we can do right now, today, to right now today enter into a level of intimacy with God that goes way beyond anything we've ever experienced. And Christ shows us how to do that. And that's really the consecration of the book, but it teaches a lot of very pragmatic things, like how we can revisit the traumas that are in our past life and how we can find these incredible 100-carat diamonds when we clear away the rubble, and we do that through a process Gary taught me 40 years ago called treasure hunting. You know, so, so remarkable, you think of it, Stephen, how that we oftentimes characterize those dark, disappointing moments in our lives of disappointment and failure, whether we feel we failed ourselves or somebody else has failed us, and we're dealing with the, the fallout from all of that, and oftentimes wonder, well, in the middle of all of that, where was God? He must have been a million miles away. He must have been busy on another call. And then to sit back with the benefit of of hindsight and be able to ponder and realize, you know what, in retrospect, in the darkest moments when I felt as if in the time, in the moment, the Lord was the farthest away, in fact, that was the time that he actually drew the closest to me. With us today is Stephen Scott. He's the author of a brand new book, many to his uh, title, but uh, to uh, uh, to his credit, but his most recent is called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. We're going to get back to more of our conversation with Stephen Scott on this edition of Lifeline. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Best-selling author Stephen Scott is with us today. He's just penned a new book released by Thomas Nelson called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. Let's zero in on that point that I mentioned a moment ago. I think all of us get that sense in those dark moments where we're feeling the crush of, of failure and disappointment and we feel as if our prayers don't go beyond the ceiling. God must be a million miles away. But as you suggest in the book, based on your own life experiences, those are in realities the times when the Holy Spirit draws closest to us. Well, what is it that gets in our way of feeling that presence, do you think? Uh, Number one, our lack of intimacy with Christ. Jesus didn't call us to be religious. He called us to come into intimacy with the Father. He said, and this is eternal life that they might intimately know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Joseph had an intimate relationship with Christ. So what we do is we show you what the barriers are to that, and we show you what Christ said to get those barriers out of the way. For example, um, uh, we spend 50% of our waking moments dwelling on either the past or the future. The future could be what's for lunch or what's my wife going to say when I get home. Uh, the past could be I can't believe that guy that tried to cut me off on my way to work today. Where, and whenever we're out of the present moment, uh, we miss the miracles that are open to us in that moment, and more importantly, we miss the presence of God. God dwells in the present moment. He doesn't dwell in the future. He doesn't dwell in the past. So we show people how they can literally turn off the power of their anxiety, worries, and fears, which are red flags that you're living in the future, how they can literally turn off the power of their past regrets, their sorrows, um, their anger, their bitterness, their lack of forgiveness, how they can turn that off by coming into the present moment. And this by itself changes everything. I have a ministry with um, that I've had unintentionally uh, since 2009 with parents who have lost children. In fact, one of my dearest friends just lost a son to a car accident on Saturday. Um, and one of my distributors a few months ago lost her adult daughter, mother of her grandchildren, to a murder in Canada. And grief so captivates, it literally hijacks a person's heart and mind and soul. And so we show them how to come into the moment and give their heart in the moment they're in, not for tomorrow, not for a year from now, back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and consequently, we see deliverance from this relentless taskmaster, this slave master called grief. It's okay to grieve, but God never intended that it becomes the master. Um, but once again, the key is coming into a moment-by-moment intimacy with Christ. Christ, most people don't know this, God has a love language. We all know Gary Chapman's wonderful book, The Five Love Languages. Well, God has a love language. It's not worship. It's not prayer. uh, But rather, Jesus revealed it at the Last Supper so his disciples could continually have intimacy with him and the Father after he was resurrected. Well, we can use that same language. God shows it. Um, right today, and it, it's literally in John fourteen twenty one through 23, where he said, He who has my teachings and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me, my Father will love, and I too will love, and I'll reveal myself to him. 
so we come into intimacy with Christ by hearing what Jesus said, and then by faith, empowered by grace, actually doing what he said in the moment we're in. And so we show people how they can bring that wonderful, glorious love language where Christ himself promises intimacy with the Father and Son uh, when we do it. And that's just one chapter. Um, we show people how to gain a vision, and this has been a secret to my success. We started with $5,000. By the time we I retired, we had created 25 different businesses doing billions of dollars in sales because of this one skill set I learned because of Proverbs, but Joseph used it too, and it's called vision mapping, how you can gain a vision for your marriage, uh, for, your, for your relationship with your kids, for a project at work, for a career, and how you can gain that vision and then map it out like a Google map. And just doing that increases a person's productivity a thousandfold. In fact, I had a marketing department of, of four of us and competing against companies that had two or 300 people in their marketing department, and we beat them like crazy every time we competed because we used this vision mapping process. God wants us to be productive, to be a good steward of our talents. And so in the Joseph principles, Joseph was the most successful businessman in history. He batted a thousand because he would gain a vision for where he wanted to be and then map it out on how to get from his current location to his destination, just like a Google map. So we show people how to do that in one of the chapters. So this book is impactful uh, for people that have been had terrible adversity in their life, that literally the adversity, when you learn what to do, can be a springboard into miracles. But until you learn what to do, adversity tends to keep us chained to our past, and we can. The, the, the picture on the book is a butterfly, a monarch butterfly, and it has one wing that's colorful and glorious, and the other wing, you just see the structure of it. There's nothing filled in. Well, that represents how people go through life. That butterfly, as good-looking as it is, can flap as hard as it wants, and it's just going to stay on the ground and go in circles because it's not fully developed. The only way we can become fully developed is for us to come into intimacy with the Father and Son. That's what God wants. He said it in Jeremiah 9.24. He wants us to come into intimacy with Him. And, and in the Joseph Principles, we show you right from the lips of Christ, over 100 statements of Christ in it, how we can experience that intimacy, not a week from now, not a year from now, not after lots of Bibles, how we can begin to experience it in a single day. Stephen, in a few moments that we have together that uh, remain here, a, a touch on one issue. We've talked about failure in broader terms, in terms that a lot of people would look at as, well, I got the job, but things didn't work out. I tried the business. I was a failure. But, you know, one of the big barriers oftentimes that can be stand between us and the Lord from, from a standpoint of being challenging to developing that level of intimacy is when there's been a personal failure of sorts, a moral failure. Maybe we've wronged a loved one. We've wronged a spouse. And now there's also 
the manipulation that the enemy uses to try to keep us trapped into a sense of guilt and shame. And it's sort of just this this never-ending circle that ultimately creates this barrier between us and the Lord. Because people say, well, Stephen, I get what you're saying. In order to overcome this, I need to be more intimate with God. But you don't understand. Look at the terrible thing I've done. How can I ever restore that intimacy with him? How can he ever forgive me? We show you exactly how to do that because Christ didn't come to save the righteous. He came for the people that are struggling, the people that are failing, the people who've been addicted to sin. That's who he came for. And he didn't say, come unto me, all you who have it together. No, he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened. That You're exactly the person. And you don't have to be in bondage to your past one more moment in the Joseph principles, we show you how to instantly get delivered. See, Joseph was sold into slavery at 17. He could have spent the rest of his life hating his brothers, hating the God of his father who let him become a slave, then a prisoner. And, and instead, he didn't even look at the past. We show you how to live in the moment you're in, step by step. And once you start doing it, which can be moment one, you read that one chapter in the book, and literally that night, you can be free from any past failures. Listen, uh, I'm right there with Paul. Paul, the only reason I think he was a worse sinner than me was because he claimed under the influence of the Holy Spirit to be the chief of sinners. But I'll tell you, I have had a roller coaster experience. I left atheism 58 years ago. I wish I could say I've honored the Lord in everything. I have failed more than I have succeeded. I have broken hundreds of promises to Christ, but Christ made 102 conditional promises to me, and he has never broken one of those promises. But we don't, if you don't know what they are, you can't. People are saying to me all the time, hey, if only I could have more faith. Stop complaining. We show you exactly God makes the deposits, you write the checks, but you have to begin to discover the teachings of Christ that are hidden in the Gospels. And that's where we focus in the Joseph Principles. The book, again, as Stephen just mentioned, is called The Joseph Principles, Turning Adversity and Heartache into Miraculous Living. It will be published by Thomas Nelson. You'll find it at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as the usual suspects, including Amazon.com or through Stephen's website. It's real easy. StephenKScott.com. That's Stephen, the initial K like King, StephenKScott.com. Stephen, we appreciate most uh, the time, the candor, and the insights today. God bless you for your time. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. A couple of weeks ago, we warned you that this might be heading in a very unfortunate direction, an unnecessary direction, uh, quite frankly, because of the short-sightedness of lawmakers in Sacramento. And now it appears as if our predictions at the time regretfully have come to fruition. As the uh, Pacific Justice Institute has announced they are filing a lawsuit against the California Attorney General and the Director of the Department of Social Services challenging California's controversial so-called Child Care Act. Let's get more details on why the lawsuit and what exactly is in this particular measure now state law that is so horrifically Dangerous, particularly as it relates to people of faith. Counselor, attorney, 
constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus, founder of the Pacific Justice Institute, joins us for an update. And uh, Brad, last time we spoke on this topic, you indicated that likely this was going to be the, the unfortunate direction that this had to head in. I guess for people that are eavesdropping on our conversation tonight that are wholly unfamiliar with the so-called California Child Care Act and don't know why a lawsuit against the state would be necessary, give us some of the fundamental details about what the concern is here. Uh, certainly. Uh, this California law, not a bill, a law, uh, has uh, restrictions uh, singling out uh, you know, church-based uh, pr- preschools for children uh, with uh, regulations and restrictions that are not implemented against uh, many secular uh, preschools, like public school-sponsored preschools or the Girl Scouts or YMCA. There's like 19 ex- exemptions, uh, groups that are exempt from it. But uh, churches are not exempt, and what it, one of the restrictions that, uh, that we're talking about uh, limits them from having the children participate in religious activities like praying, uh, singing religious songs, uh, listening to, to uh, Bible stories. Uh, we're talking about preschools that are part of a ministry of a church at a church. Uh, the state saying, no, no, you can't do that. Uh, you all, it also says that uh, that they, that the state can come in, social workers, at any time without a warrant, uh, and uh, look into the school, uh, the preschool, uh, look in each uh, individual child's personal the files, uh, which violates you know privacy issues for the family. It could be very sensitive uh, disability and other issues in those files. It allows them to uh, question employees and uh, have the and and uh, without giving them Miranda rights because this. Law also allows for criminal prosecution of employees and people at the school, um, you know, for violating any of these restrictions. It's it's very draconian, uh, and it uh, violates the First Amendment, the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and Seventh Amendments, as well as the Fourteenth Amendment, uh, as well. So it's um, it's it's very serious, and this is a very potentially a, a groundbreaking case for religious freedom for uh, churches and, and uh, preschools in California and possibly beyond. You know, I, I know this is a double-edged sword question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because that's what I do. <laughs> well, what's the motivation here? I mean, it, it's it's not new that churches across the state have, uh, whether you call them daycare ministries, nursery school ministries. My goodness, I, I went to one myself when I was just a little bit of a, a shaver, uh, four or five years old, I suppose. Um, and, you know, as I recall, it was a time of just learning to be able to be in a setting with other children, learning to get along with other kids, times of play, times of basic fundamental learning, the ABCs, things of this sort. Um, and I did attend a, a Christian-based um, the Christian-run school, and yeah, there were moments of you know Bible stories being told on a felt board and things of this sort, even some basic uh, scripture memorization, things of that sort. No harm came of any of that. Why is it all of a sudden the state of California believes that uh, there needs to be an act that strictly controls what happens in a so-called uh, daycare environment, and that if that daycare is being operated by a 
church, that's okay, but you have to be devoid of any of the trappings of why a parent would choose to send their child to a Christian or, or, or church-based daycare ministry in the first place. I mean, it just seems to be, uh, that's like saying, we're going to send our son to learn uh, at the School of Italian Language and Culture, but they're not allowed to speak Italian. What, what are you talking about? It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, did we lose him? I think we lost him. It was that Italian remark. See if you can get him back on there, would you? I'm sure it was the Italian remark right there. He took great offense to it. I do, too. (laughs) If you've just joined us, we're chatting in this segment of the program with Brad Dacus. He, of course, is the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute. California has recently passed the Child Care Act that, in the opinion of the counselor and many others, puts a unlawful and substantial burden on the free exercise of religion for all California churches that operate nursery schools or um, daycare centers. And my goodness, you know, uh, if you're operating a daycare center, um, it's going to be now subject to state regulation. And one of the first things that are included in this new regulation is that such so-called daycare centers are not allowed to require participation in prayer or include religious activities as part of their daycare ministry. Wait, what? Yeah, sounds pretty hostile to religion to me. I'm sure it does to you, too. Moreover, uh, if there are any complaints to the state that such a daycare ministry engaged in such shocking behavior, the state authorities can enter the church to investigate unannounced, seize records unannounced, interview children without the consent or knowledge of their parents. Seriously. And they're even allowed to interview church employees without benefit of reading them their Miranda rights, even though criminal sanctions would apply to violations of this act. It's just ludicrous. Counselor. Yeah, it is very ludicrous. Uh, Sorry about that. I I suddenly, I could hear you, but you couldn't hear me. That was a Sorry about that, but um, and I'm not Italian, so I'm not I'm not offended. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, this is this is very very ludicrous, um, and it it involves government control over an area that the government has no business controlling. And how can they justify these kind of controls against church-run preschools when they give exemptions uh, from these restri- for these restrictions for all these uh, secular? Uh, types of, of daycare centers and preschools. Well, this is what I don't uh, understand. And put 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 a little light on this for us. I mean, to begin with, it completely you know lays bare and nullifies half of the reason why most parents would choose to send their son or daughter to a church based daycare in the first place. Of course, they want their kids to be in that kind of environment. They've selected that for that very reason. Moreover. Beyond just, and I will set this, this is a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer it. We'll set aside for a moment the, the, the part of the equation that says why anybody even thought this was a good idea. But more importantly, I would imagine these are all adults over the age of 18. Nobody in Sacramento looked at this and said, yeah, guys, we got a problem. And it's called violation of the United States Constitution. I mean, you don't have to be, uh, no, no, no offense to those of you uh, in the audience, including uh, my guests that, that, that have earned degrees and, and actually passed the bar exam. But do you really have to be an attorney to look at this and say, yeah, this seems to run afoul of the First Amendment. And yet here it is. Yeah, it's. It's a government control over a 
church religious ministry, a preschool, um, it's government censorship uh, of religious speech of of ministering, and um, it's and it's also not just restrictive; it's potentially we're talking about potential criminal prosecution uh, for a violation of this uh, and these procedures. Um, so this is uh, it's very very serious. Uh, we have Pacific Justice. We want to bring it to a halt. So we're defending. The, the school that was shut down by uh, the state of California, uh, and we're on two other churches that want to start preschools want to have this unequal, unfair, uh, uh, unconstitutional treatment that this original school went through, and uh, we're uh, we're going to bat. It's, it's going to be a, a long, hard-fought you know litigation, but uh, because of the Supreme Court that we have now. Um, and the federal uh, court appointees, even in the Ninth Circuit, by the former President Donald Trump, uh, we think we have a shot at it. And uh, this is very important for uh, religious freedom. Um, what's your sense in terms of the timing of all of this? I mean, I, I can't imagine that um, this would sit before a judge very long before they concluded that, yeah, this, this is completely out of whack. I mean, can there be a stay put in place in the meantime while this is being challenged? Uh, it is possible we could. Um, it's um, you know federal judges uh, they're not uh, real quick to suddenly uh, declare state laws unconstitutional and state actions unconstitutional. Um, but um, you know we're at the end of the day uh, you know we're going to have it heard on the merits. Uh, we'll appeal it if necessary, and we'll take it all with the United States Supreme Court if we need to. Um, this is this is really important because um, you know the state could. You know, today you're saying the pre- church preschools. Tomorrow, may they they may deal not with Monday through Friday, but uh, Sundays, and say this this now applies to uh, church Sunday schools, um, and uh, and those kinds of uh, activities. So it's real important that the government, the state, be put in check, and uh, and social workers randomly coming in, uh, prodding through files, going through the information that's protected by the Constitution. And uh, restricting, like they were talking about, uh, is is just outrageous. And uh, we're standing up to it. This has never been challenged. Nothing like this, to our knowledge, has ever been challenged before in federal court. We're doing it at Pacific Justice Institute, and uh, we're going to stay faithful in, in this battle to the end. Well, Brad, we appreciate the update and the um, the vigilance in dealing with this. I mean, it's just, it's as I said a moment ago, it's simply ludicrous that not only did the California state legislature think this was a good idea, the governor signed it into law, and they think that this is going to pass constitutional muster. Unbelievable. There's an update from Brad Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. Information available on the web at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, it just seems as if we're filled with all kinds of uh, exciting legislative news from the great state of California. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, well, as Bob Zadek would say, for those that don't like it, now is a good time to vote with your feet. Uh, And I get that. Uh, I would also suggest that now is a good time to uh, vote with your feet by making sure you're headed toward the, uh, the polling place. Uh, come November, because, uh, you know, much of this carnage in a state like ours, courtesy of the California state legislature, is because of the people that we keep putting in the California state assembly 
and um, and uh, you know in 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 the legislature that uh, that create these problems between the the assembly and the California Senate. My 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 my. It's 120 people, probably 119 of which need to be turned out to pasture because of things like Assembly Bill 2223. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters. It's heard, by the way, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. Brian has been following this story. We talked about it when it was up for consideration, and now here it is. Um, There's a number of things I want to talk about leading to um, the propositions this November, Brian, but I want to start with status on AB 2223. We talked about it at the time. It was still awaiting the governor's signature. I shudder to think what you're going to tell me in terms of the status today. Yes, Craig, it's very unfortunate. AB 2223 by Buffy Wicks of the Bay Area. I think you live in her district. Um, Buffy Wicks basically is not content with just abortion. Uh, One issue that we do know is quietly talked about, even the major media, the governor of Virginia last election cycle admitted that he himself approved of a child that is born alive in the course of an abortion simply being abandoned. The goal was to kill the kid, but my goodness, the kid's still alive. This is infanticide. And Buffy Wicks wants it in the books. We do have cases. We do know it's been going on in California And we have an existing law against it that has not been enforced. As you know, progressives, just like in San Francisco, progressive prosecutors and progressive governors say, well, I'm not going to enforce certain laws. We had such a law. Buffy Wick says, no, if there's a pro-life legislature that becomes along, they might enforce it. So we're going to change the law and allow infanticide. That's Assembly Bill 2223 last night. It passed. It is now being engrossed, which is a legal term for writing all up, all the implications, and being presented to the governor. The governor has already said that this bill, which is part of the abortion sanctuary state issue that he's sponsoring, There are 46 policies that were put forward. Most of them have already passed. And AB 2223, the infanticide measure, is now on the governor's desk. I don't want to discourage you, but the fact is this governor is committed to the concept of killing human babies. Well, and apparently he's got some some help. I I was... uh, um find it ironic that uh, as she's running for re-election here, um, her website uh, introduces herself as an organizer, an advocate, a new mother, and a candidate for the assembly. And I'm thinking, yeah, about that new mother part. How about a little bit of that motherly let's protect the kids part kick in? I mean, the notion that AB 2223 would end coroner investigations of pregnancies, lost pregnancies, stillbirths, um, and, and, you know, essentially at the extreme here, um, what is to prevent, Brian, a parent who says, okay, I am too late for an abortion, but I really don't want this kid. This is going to be too much of a hassle. Practically speaking, given the, the, the nature of this bill, couldn't a parent or even a babysitter, for that matter, um, shake the kid to death 
and subsequently have no investigation by the coroner's office whatsoever? If it's in the perinatal period, which is a fancy legal term that says anywhere around birth, it's been interpreted in the law to be anywhere from 24 days after birth to six months after birth. And that, of course, is infanticide. Now, we need to be careful to not use their language. They want to say, well, no, this is about stillbirths. And, you know, even women that get abortions, that's a pregnancy loss in their morning. Why are you investigating pregnancy loss? There should be no investigation of abortions or any pregnancy loss. It's an intellectually designed, as you know, in my book, as you know, Craig, I talk about language. My undergraduate degree is in linguistics and comparative languages. If you don't understand that language is being twisted right now by advocates of abortion, you don't understand the debate. And the fact is, is this bill clearly would authorize infanticide and there will be no investigation of it. What's often done in a lot of cases, you gave some examples of shaken baby syndrome, we know about that boyfriends. It's actually very common. It's been recorded. It's very sad. A woman decides not to be pregnant. The husband, no, excuse me, the boyfriend, maybe it's a husband, an irresponsible one. He doesn't want the brains either. He says, okay, honey, just hold still. I've got this baseball bat. I really don't want to hurt you. It is going to hurt a little bit, but if I hit you just right, it'll probably kill the kid and you'll have a miscarriage. So let's use this baseball bat. Now, that's a form of intentionally killing a baby. That is done. That has been documented. Those will not be investigated. You need to understand that the goal of abortion is the death of a human baby. That is the purpose of an abortion. If you don't understand that, you don't understand. That's what's meant by choice. And in many ways, the woman is actually an indirect object. In the pro- yes, she undergoes the procedure, but the target of the procedure is not her. She's the indirect object. The target is a human being, that baby. And under the law before 1973, every state had protections. Now, that row is overturned, states can again protect that very baby. So we're going to see a huge battle now. I want to prepare people to understand. We can now protect these babies if we pay attention to lawmakers and the law. The other side is terrified. So they want to cement as much as possible to prevent you from ever being able to protect that baby. And that, of course, leads us to Proposition 1, if you want to chat about that briefly. Let's talk about that and what people need to be aware of. Yes, let's. here's the reality. Again, if you don't understand what the modern Democrat Party has become, then you're in deep trouble. They're advocating a form of government that is not the form of government that you were handed as an American. The form of government they believe is government control and absolute government control. It is statism. You can call it lots of different names. But basically now they control our state legislature and they see that someday maybe you'll elect pro-life legislators because you have that right. And if enough pro-lifers wake up and say, I want to put a pro-lifer in office, I've had it. That might even happen. That terrifies them now that Roe is overturned. 
The Supreme Court is not protecting choice anymore. They don't want any pro-life laws. And so they quickly, it was the fastest measure ever to go through the legislative process. In 24 days, a constitutional amendment was voted on by both houses of your state legislature that were put in the Constitution. It's not a bill. It's a constitutional amendment that the people will vote on this November. And it will prohibit any future law that would protect babies. It'll be in the state's constitution. But you're going to have to vote on it. So Proposition 1 is going to be presented to literally everybody with a driver's license. is going to have a ballot sent to their kitchen. It's going to be in the mail and on their kitchen table. And the number one issue will be Proposition 1, which is about the reproductive right amendment. It's about guaranteeing reproductive freedom. But it's going to allow abortion on demand. It's funding. It puts it in the Constitution. It will prohibit any limiting. Any limitation of that woman's right to choose will be immoral, wrong, and a violation of your state's Constitution. So it effectively shuts down the possibility of passing any legislation in the future, um, passing any proposition in the future. Uh, Should the majority of Californians choose that they think, you know what, this is the wrong direction to head in, we need to right this wrong. No, because now it's codified in the Constitution, so now it requires a constitutional amendment to undo the constitutional amendment, just adding layers of of, uh, legislative and legal complexity here, which I guess in the end is exactly the the goal, and that is to try to make this as completely possible, as completely uh, impossible to protect life in California as they can, because California is going to wind up being one of the few last stands for this industry to continue. And it's a good cause for you to be educated on the topic and uh, then vote with your feet. And hopefully you're going to walk straight to the ballot box um, come this November and um, and. Try to put a wedge in between this dangerous direction in which our state is headed. Want more? Well, more information available every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. on Life Matters with Brian Johnston. He gets a chance to uh, unpack many of these issues and other related topics of uh, interest and concern to people of a pro-life persuasion. And again, that broadcast every Saturday morning, 11 a.m., right here on KFA. It's called Life Matters. And to get more information, you can go online to CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. .org. Our thanks to Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee for that update. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.